Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hey, I get the privilege today. It's our third Sunday in our series on uh, Walk Before You Run. Uh, how many of you know what Walk Before You Run means? I don't mean literally, but you know what that series title means. Wave at me. Tell, somebody tell me what, that's, what, what we're talking about here. Taylor, come on. You're not allowed to because you're on a team. Somebody that's not on the team. I'm not dismayed. <laughs> No idea, no idea. Hey, listen, we're taking, we're taking this month specifically to walk through some Christian disciplines, just some things that are important. How many of you uh, realize, or you might realize that some disciplines are important in your life to accomplish your goals? Yeah. Right, if you've got goals, I mean, I like, you know, I'm, look at Jeffrey there, you know, I mean, I, there's, there's a disciplined man. I've always seen his discipline, but he's fulfilling a lot of goals as a result of that, and congratulations on getting the house up to, uh, uh, up to uh, lockup, I saw that today, and, uh, or yeah, the other day, and, uh, you know, we have disciplines if we want to accomplish something, and the same is exactly true about our Christian life. If you just want to be a Christian, that's fine. You don't have to do anything. But if you want to accomplish something in relationship to God, you have to have some disciplines. you got, got to do some things on a regular basis that help us. And we're, we've been talking about uh, a number of things, and I don't know exactly which ones we've talked about here in uh, Vernon yet, but we are talking about fellowship. We're talking about Bible reading. We're talking about prayer. Uh, we're talking about fasting. Everybody groan, you know, fasting. We don't like that one. And, uh, uh, but those are uh, things that help put us in the right place in order to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. You know, my biggest fear in life, I can just say this, my biggest fear in life is that I die not having fulfilled what God sent me here for. That, that to me, that is the most, uh, that, that is my biggest fear, that, that I end up dying without ever having accomplished what God sent me here for. And so I need to be disciplined so that I can do those, those things that we talk about. And today I want to talk about the idea of fellowship. The idea of fellowship. And fellowship is kind of a church word, I guess. Uh, you don't really hear it in a lot of other contexts. Um, but most of the time we think fellowship is the same thing as going to church. But it's not. Uh, it's way easier to go to church than it is to be the church. It's way easier to, to attend than it is to be part of something. Last Sunday I was in... Uh, uh, I was out, out of the country. Actually, I was in um, uh, Fairfax, Virginia, and I was in a service in Fairfax, Virginia, and, and I, I was struck by one thing. I was so glad to get home today, by the way, and uh, I was so glad to be in our service today, by the way. I, I mean, I, I, we were in this, I was in the service. It was first service. It was a great church. Had maybe 500 people in the service, and, and nobody was participating, and I thought, this is not C3. Uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, in fact, I looked around the room at one point in time because just as I do, because uh, I like being near the front, I was sitting in the third seat from the front because I thought it'd be a little, uh, you know, presumptive to sit in the front row. I thought the pastors would sit there. But uh, I, so I sat in the third row right in the middle and, and you know, I'm worshiping, got my hands up in the air, and I just kind of looked around and I realized I was only one of three people out of 500 who was engaged and had their hands in the air. I'm so glad that we have this idea as a church that we are wanting to engage. And engage is a part, an important part of being church. Because we want to move from just attending church to being church. 
Fellowship is, is allowing us to, to be community, to be church, not just tend church. So I'm going to invite you today. I, he's probably wondering why I stuck this chair out here. I'm not going to sit down. But it's, it's interesting. So when I look around here uh, at everybody, you know, I can see everybody. But if I get up on the chair, uh, I have a different perspective. Right? So all we have to do is shift a little bit to get to a different spot, to get a different perspective on what church is. And that's what I want to help us do today is get a little different perspective on what fellowship and church and community is as opposed to something we just are going to, that we're going to. In fact, if you want to, okay, all the, all the, all the uh, uh, young adults that are not in C3 Kids are going to love this one. If you'd like to during the service, I invite you just to get up and stand on the chair and let yourself get a little different perspective on things. I know it's kind of scary to suggest that. But here, you know, we're going we're gonna to go to some scripture in a second, but you know, it's interesting to me is that the word church does not in, come up very often in the story about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the primary stories of Jesus in the Bible. And the word that is translated as church actually only comes up three times. Because in Jesus' day, there was no church service. He went to the synagogue, which is more or less the equivalent. It's interesting, though, that the three times it does come up, that the word ecclesia, which is the word for church, uh, comes up in the New Testament is, is only in Matthew's gospel. And Matthew uh, raises that or uses that expression, that word, specifically because of what he's trying to tell people. He's speaking to a crowd of Jewish people who are very committed to being Jewish and in the synagogue, and he's wanting them to know that actually God is bigger than the Jewish people. And that there, there are Gentiles, oh, what a terrible word. There are people who are not Jewish that are allowed to be part of God's kingdom. So Matthew is speaking that intentionally, and he uses that word, church, so that people in, that he's writing to go, oh, you're reading a lot, say that word doesn't fit. It should say synagogue. But he says church. What's that mean? It means it's more than just this. But let's think for a minute about Jesus. So that's in Matthew. I think I have it up there. Do we have it on the screen? Matthew chapter, uh, there we go. Jesus came to the district. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Let's keep going. I got up there. Great. And some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? I love this. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And here's the verse. I tell you, Peter. You're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Which is really cool that Matthew says that because they, the Jewish people would have expected him to say, and I will build my nation. I will build my synagogue. Anything but church. But Matthew specifically emphasizing the fact that church is this diverse multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-socioeconomic uh, stratosphere that allows everyone to be part of it. And that was a revelation to people. So if we want a fellowship, we need to understand how, how God has uniquely created the church to be a place full of a lot of diversity. Which incidentally, if you read some of the New Testament, you'll discover that sometimes some of that diversity clashes. Uh, it does clash. And uh, those kinds of things happen. But let's go to Jesus for a minute. Jesus had this normal pattern. So the church did not exist in Jesus' day, but Jesus attended regularly 
the synagogue. How many of you know it's heard of the synagogue? It's a place, if you're a good Jewish person, you would have attended the synagogue on a regular basis. You would have been there every Saturday, every Sabbath day. You would have been there gathering. It was an important part of the community. In fact, most of the places, including where Jesus ministered, the, the cornerstone of the city would have been a synagogue. That would have been the most important building in the place. And so Jesus would have attended there. But there's an interesting thing about Jesus attending the synagogue is that uh, the synagogue was run, the synagogue was run and, and kind of managed by a group of people called Pharisees. Anybody ever heard of the Pharisees? Read your Bible, heard the Pharisees. Pharisees, bad guys, right? Like generally going like Jesus and the Pharisees didn't get along. You know, they were always in conflict. Jesus was trying to straighten them out. He was trying to tell them they were wrong. They were trying to kill him. You know, it was just a mutually beneficial relationship. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but here's the key. Here's the thing. Jesus understood that the Pharisees who ran the synagogue were kind of corrupt and didn't have it right, and yet that didn't stop him from going to the synagogue. You know, we live in an age where, where the church has historically made a lot of mistakes, and we need to own that and admit that. But that, sh but that is not an excuse not to be part of the church because Jesus didn't use the corruption of the Pharisees as an excuse not to be part of the synagogue, right? We don't, we don't, we don't go to church because it's perfect, because if we would, you better stay outside. You hear what I'm saying, right? See, if we go to church because we think it's going to be perfect, the very fact that I'm here means it's not. The very fact that you're here means it's not, right? So this whole thing, but Jesus felt like being in that place, being together, was an important, an important thing. Yes. Now, there's another passage of Scripture, and this is one I want to take most of my time to talk about this morning. You said, I thought you've already taken most of your time, and actually, when I look at the clock, I have. Um, but uh, uh, here, here I, I want you to go to Hebrews, because here's, here's this verse that, that constantly uh, gets brought up and kind of like, oh, you know, here's, here's this thing. But I, I want to understand what what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. Incidentally, I heard somebody recently, I think this would be really cool, is that historians understand that the letter to the Hebrews was probably delivered by somebody called Priscilla, uh, a woman apostle. In fact, uh, I heard a professor recently say that she thought it was possible that Priscilla actually wrote this, which would be the coolest thing ever to have one of the books in the New Testament written by a woman. I think that'd be very cool. Anyway, uh, the, so here's what he says. Here's what the writer says in, in Hebrews. And I'm going to read this out of my, uh, on my notes here because I can read faster than the screen that way. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So let's, let's put this book all in context. So Hebrews is written to the Hebrews. Sorry, I was trying to bait that answer. <laughs> Hebrews is written to the Hebrews, Hebrews the Jewish people. And uh, so they are 
reading this, and why is it written to them? And I'll tell you why it's written to them is the writer of the Hebrews is encountering this group of Christians who have a Jewish origin, and they're kind of frustrated with how hard it is to be a Christian. Somehow somebody misled them and thought it was going to be easy, and, uh, and, and, and they were getting kind of, kind of disturbed and frustrated by the fact that this was not an easy thing, that people were against them, people were opposed to them, and so there was this kind of growing consensus among them that, you know what, it would be better just to be Jewish, like that I know, and this new stuff I'm not sure about, you know, sometimes it's, it's a lot harder uh, going into this grace and maturity, it's easier to go back and say, let me just, just tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do. Like, just tell me, do, what do I do on Sunday? What do I do on Saturday? You know, what, what food do I eat? You know, what, what, you know, when do I sacrifice? Just tell me that. Don't make me figure it all out. And, and so they were getting frustrated, right? And, and they were getting discouraged because people were against them. And they were discouraged. And so the writer of the Hebrews writes to this group of people. And in this passage, he's laying out this really, really cool uh, message to them. Because he's, he's kind of reminding them, or she's kind of reminding them, of, of, what, of what's there. So there's, a, there's this kind of this, um, this he, uh, the writer goes, here's, here's this foundation. Here's the reason we do everything. Here's the reason for following Christ. He said, the writer says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence. Since. That word since. That's the, he's saying, here's the foundation. Since we have confidence. Let me remind you, we have confidence in Jesus. Right? Since we have That's something really foundational for us. Since we have confidence in Jesus. Aren't you glad it doesn't say since we have confidence in our government? Yeah. <laughs> since we have confidence in our leaders. Since we have confidence in our pastors. It's not saying that. saying, since we have confidence in Jesus. Since we have confidence. Let's let's get back to the reason. Since we have confidence in Jesus. And then then he says, or then the writer says, um, not only do we have confidence, but if you go farther along, it says, and since. So he says, since, she says, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So this is kind of cool. He says, we can go where God is, but not only that, we have this priest that makes sure everything's okay. Right? We have confidence in our relationship with God, but we also have this confidence in this high priest. You know what the priest did? The priest was the one who made sure that the sacrifice was there. The priest was the mediator between a person and God. They offered the sacrifice. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll discover that the general public didn't offer sacrifices. They brought it to the priest, and the priest offered that sacrifice to God on their behalf. It was a mediator. So the writer of the Hebrews is saying, he said, hey, we have confidence that we can come into God's presence, but we also have confidence that our sin is taken care of because we've got this great high priest, this mediator that's always dealing with this stuff. So we never have to be ashamed. That's pretty remarkable. Never having to be ashamed. I don't have to go to God ashamed at any point in time. Doesn't matter what I've done, I never have to be ashamed. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. 
I mean, in, for us in a natural sense, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, if I've done something wrong, I should be ashamed. God says, no, because you've got a great high priest who's a mediator. He's already dealing with this. As you sin, God is dealing with it. It's pretty cool. I come to God, and like, I don't have to be ashamed to come to God. I've got confidence that I can come to him, and I'm not ashamed that I can come to God. And so he lays out, the writer lays out this, this foundation, and, and then says, so how should we respond? This is one of those, if this, then that. If this is true that we have confidence, if this is true that Christ is our high priest, then how do we respond to that? So this is what, this is what the writer of the Hebrews goes on to say, and here's, here's what the writer says. It says, first of all, here's a response. Let's come close instead of backing off. It's fair. If I have no reason to stay away from God, why shouldn't I go to God? You know, I mean, I mean, we're talking about fellowship today, but I mean, we could be talking about prayer. We could be talking about the word of God. I've got no reason to stay away. I, I don't know about you, but there's been times I didn't want to pray because I felt ashamed. Which, I'll, can I just put it this way? That is a lie of the devil. It's, it, that's not it. So we, we come to God since we have this high priest, since we have this confidence, let's get close. <laughs> you know, I love I'm pretty fortunate because in, we have three locations, and in every location I have grandkids. I, I'm worried about when we open our next location because I'm not sure about having grandkids there. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm not sure which of my kids feels that way. And, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I, I, I love it. I'm sitting in the front row, and Esme, who is, who is uh, um, the third youngest granddaughter, I got 12, I gotta figure that all out, you know. I, I, I've got this thing that, that I do with my grandkids. I walk in and I say, boy, this is, you know, you are my most favorite grandson that lives close to me. You are my most favorite grandson in this room. You know, I mean, I just always, so I'm always trying to figure out how to make them unique, right? So they can be the favorite. And so I'm on the front row today, and Esme, she's up and she's just cuddling, you know, just cuddling in. She just wants to be close. Right? Because why? Because I'm, I'm not her parent. I don't have to discipline her. Come on, it's true. I mean, I, I love the fact that I'm a grandparent, and, you know, I don't have to discipline my kids or my grandkids. Discipline my kids, oh, I can't anymore. They're too old. But, get, you know, I can't. I don't have to discipline them. I, I don't have to parent them. I just get to embrace them. It's the coolest thing ever. It's the, and here's what Jesus, or here's what the writer of the Hebrews say, because we have this high priest, because we have confidence we can come close. We can come close to God. God doesn't want us far away. God wants us close. I love the story. Maybe you know the story of Elijah when Elijah was depressed and discouraged and he was in the cave and he was just wallowing. I'm sure he was in a, a clinical depression. And, and God wants him to meet, wants to meet with him. And, and so he comes out to the edge of the cave and this you know, there's whirlwind and, and lightning and storms all there. And, and the Bible says God wasn't in that. And then there was this quiet voice. And I remember hearing preachers say one time ago, and it stuck with me so strongly. He said, why did God speak so quietly? Because in order to hear what he said, you have to get close. Everything that God does is draw close to me. I've since we have confidence, since he's my high priest, 
Come on. Let's get close to him. Let's get close to him. And then he says, let's hang on to our, our confession. Let's continue to believe those things that are true. Right, let's continue to believe that Jesus is the healer. Let's continue to proclaim those things like we did today, that he is Jehovah uh, Jireh, my provider. Let's continue to hang on to that confession. Don't stop believing. I think there was a song, something like that. Just flashing in the back of my mind, and I better not go there. But the thing is, we're so, we're, hang on to that. Don't let go of it. Fight for your confession. Fight for your belief in God. Fight for it. Because I'll tell you what, if you don't fight for it, nobody outside of your fellowship is going to fight for you. You know, sometimes we think the government should fight for our confession. I'm going to fight for my own confession. Thank you. Sometimes we think that, you know, our employer should fight for our confession. Well, I'm going to fight for my own confession. Thank you. Because I'm going to hold on to it. Because it's for me, because it's what keeps me close. Right? Since we have confidence, since he's our high priest, let's draw near and let's hang on to our belief. Let's hang on to it. Don't let go. Hang on to it. What does this he say? And then he says this interesting thing, and this is where it all changes. And you're saying, why? Well, I thought we were talking about fellowship, but it doesn't even sound like you're talking about that. I am. But you've got to understand the context. So since, since we have confidence, since we have a high priest, draw near, hold fast, but here's what the writer says. Since that's all true, let's think about how we can stir one another up to love and good works. Hmm. See, the rest of it all feels like me, but here the writer finally gets to it. He said, actually, it's not about you. Because you're firm, solid, near to God, then think about how you can help everybody else. Then think how you can stir up other people to be encouraged. You can stir up others. It's a passage of scripture in Romans chapter, sorry, in Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter uh, 1, uh, verse 27, 28, 29, 30, in that little section there. Paul's writing and talks to the people about Comfort, comforting each other, that when we go through troubles, we should comfort. The, the word itself actually has more of a meaning, not of comfort in the sense of, you know, I sympathize with you, but more like, I encourage you. Right. Which is why Paul can say, when you've gone through troubles, you understand it so you can encourage other people. Yeah. And, and so he's saying to these people, he said, since you have this confidence, since you have a high priest, let's hold our confession, let's draw near, but... Let's think seriously about how we can encourage other people. How we can stir each other up to do good works. I'm glad it says that because it would, just wouldn't make sense if he said stir each other to do bad things. <laughs> stir each other to do good things. Uh, you know, we get a lot of people, you know, I sometimes get around some friends and, and i got to be honest, they're not stirring up good works in me. They're kind of egging me on to do something I shouldn't do. I don't know if you have friends like that, but I do. And they're all pastors. And uh, <laughs> I told you they're not perfect. That's why they get to go to church. And, uh, but, but this whole idea of stirring each other to do good, you can be better if somebody stirs you up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm a better person because of the people around me. So the writer then is saying it this way. He's saying, okay, 
since we have confidence, since we have a high priest, let's draw near, let's hold on to our confession, and let's think about how we can stir each other up to good works. And then he says, so don't neglect coming together. See, we've taken this verse out of context so many times. As you weren't in church, oh, you know the Bible says, don't neglect coming together. Actually, by itself, it's just hurtful. But in context, what's the writer trying to say? He's trying to say, if you don't show up, somebody doesn't get encouraged. If you're not here, somebody doesn't get encouraged. Because you're bringing something that stirs up somebody else and encourages somebody else. So when you're thinking about it, show up. Because when you show up, you are able to encourage somebody. You know, I, I, I get the privilege, of course, standing at the front of the church a lot of the time. And you being here, many times I see people and I go like, man, I'm just encouraged because I know what you're going through, what took you to get here. Sometimes I know that it's not always easy getting here, but you're here, and I'm encouraged, yeah. right? And, I, and I'm stirred up. You know, this is worth it. You know, you need other people to help you understand it's worth it. You need other people to help you understand that, that you can do this. See, here's, the, here's where I think we get it wrong with church, is because we live in a Western world that by culture is quite oriented towards my benefit, and we've let that get into church. It's part of the reason why I said, I just want us to make sure we don't get Jehovah Nisi wrong. Because we get it that it's, I, I come here for what I get. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, you know what, I just, I, I don't go to that church anymore because I never got anything out of it. It just pains me. It really does, because you shouldn't have been going there for what you got. You should have been going there because you had this opportunity to encourage somebody. Because you had this opportunity to stir somebody else up. And we get disoriented with fellowship because we think that we don't get something out of it. Or that we're not better. And I've pastored now for probably, oh my goodness, close to 40 years. Wow, I didn't even think that I was that old. And... Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say, sometimes in the church I was pastoring, sometimes not, saying, hey, you know, I just don't get fed there. That bothers me a lot to hear that. What are we kids that need to be spoon-fed? Sorry, just, I'm not, I'm not dumping. Okay, I'm not, I'm not. I'm just saying we get the wrong, the wrong side of it. We think that us coming to church is for what I get. Us being part of community is for what I get. But actually, that will only lead to disillusionment. See, can we go back right to why the book of Hebrews was written? It was written because here was a bunch of people who they were Christians with a Jewish heritage, and they finally decided that it was too hard to be Christian. And what does the writer say in the middle of this? Don't neglect coming together. Why does he say that? Because they were saying, you know what, I'm not getting anything out of this. This is too hard. Because they lost the plot. 
You're here today, I believe, by God designed. And not just to hear what I say, although hopefully that helps you, but for how you can encourage someone else through your presence, through your words, through your relationship, through your prayer, through your kindness. That is what church is. And we discipline ourselves to show up even when it's not easy, even when it's inconvenient, because somebody is counting on me. Let me just say one thing and I'm done. One, one, one more thought and I'm done. And it, I really will, will be, even though it says I'm got, oh no, it's counting down. I thought it was counting up. Okay. And uh, <laughs> let, let me just say this one thing. Sometimes we have this idea and I got to say, sometimes we have this idea that, you know, if, if I don't get there, somebody else will encourage them. Any of you felt like us? I don't get there. It's okay. Because God will make sure they get encouraged. Yeah. I, I think you need to tell that to Jonah. <laughs> just, just, if you remember the story of Jonah, God went to incredible lengths to get Jonah, not somebody else, but Jonah, to that place. And, and, you know, I mean, in terms of expenditure of supernatural power, he probably didn't get as good a return on investment as he thought. I mean, you know, he could have probably, you know, when Jonah said, no, I'm going the other direction, God could have said, fine, don't let that, you know, hit you on the way out. And, uh, you know, uh, just, I'll get somebody else because it's cheaper, because it's easier, because it's less energy, because it's not as much work. But Jonah tells us something, that if you don't show up, somebody didn't get encouraged. And that's what drives me. I go away. Doesn't matter whether I'm preaching in another church or not. When I, I show up at church because I actually think that I'm going to encourage somebody. Whether I'm preaching or not. I'm going to go, hey, I, I, I encourage you. Don't neglect coming together. It's a discipline. But it's a discipline not for us. It's a discipline because we are valuable to somebody else. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.